March 8th, 2023, everything is different. You know, Johnny's flying around the world. He's in Australia. He's in California. He's not here, but he's everywhere. And I decided I'm going to do some things different too. If you're changing my time zones, I'm changing your game. I have a new microphone. I probably sound a little different. We're on a new piece of software. We might sound a little different. And we're going to run this podcast later on after I speak through artificial intelligence for oh editing. Yeah, we're no, no, James, you're going to get rid of all the ums. You're going to get rid of, well, how about this? And they'll be, we'll be umless. Do I stutter? stutter? I don't think so, but I understand what you're talking about. Or very broken AI. I'm going to be curious. It's going to sound great. I I have high hopes. AI is is the new black. Everybody's playing with AI. Absolutely. But James, just just before we move on from that, I think it's really interesting for, or or certainly of interest to some of our listeners. So you've been producing sort of online podcasts and radio shows for years. And we were talking earlier on about, you know, typically take you know, an hour and a half to edit one of one of our shows. And last year, some of our regular listeners will remember that we were responsible. The Digital Byte Show was voted by Spotify, we were told. And we accounted, we we're in the top 8% of all news contributors to Spotify. So we're, we're producing a lot of content into various podcasts. And it takes you an hour and a half to do one of our shows. Using AI, you cut that down, what, to about 20 minutes, half an hour? So it saved a huge amount of time. I did. I discovered this beautiful golden egg from a goose on our guest show. And I used it for the guest show. And I said to myself, oh, my goodness. I literally just uploaded a file, went and had a cigarette, came back. It was waiting for me. And I QA'd it. I listened to it made sure, and and I compared it, and I said, so I might be able to save more time because I, I wanted to make sure it was okay. So I was comparing it and stuff like that. This one, I might just do it. I might just throw it at the wall, and whatever God wants, he keeps. And let's see how long it really takes to cut down the editing. Now, James, the reason I wanted to kick off this week's Digital Bite Show was because we wrote an article how blockchain and AI can possibly complement each other. And I think the main thrust of what we were trying to get across here is that we see increasingly different types of technology being blended and, and used together. And the analogy that we've often drawn when it comes to blockchain technology is that you can almost think of it as a skeleton in the sense that it gives you some structure and it gives some sort of form. But off the skeleton will hang other technologies. You know, it might be Internet of Things, it may be AI, maybe machine learning, maybe big data. And I think AI is, is a good example of, of working with blockchain technology in, in various different ways because artificial intelligence is going to capture a lot of data and that data has got to be held in a format which is easy for people to get to and can be interrogated but is also very safe and secure. And, and that's obviously a way that we can see those two technologies perhaps blending and working together or, or certainly that's what IBM believes so it can can store that information and create an audit trail and then on top of that you can then start using your smart contracts and all the bits and pieces like that see i was thinking about that and i was saying to myself we were going to discuss how is you know blockchain and ai complementing each other working well together and i actually stumbled right and i said to myself 
And by the way, I like to say right a lot, right? So I wonder, I, I wonder if I could tell the AI, get rid of the right. But so I'm thinking, and I said to myself in my best New York, I says to myself, hey, self, does blockchain and AI have to go hand in hand? Can it go hand in hand at one point and then not? Because when I think of AI, I think of writing, language input, language output, art creation, which goes with blockchain with NFTs, but it doesn't have to. I think of editing this podcast. I think of writing a letter to a friend and maybe I can't find the right words and the AI can. Would, I think blockchain is going to play an important role, but I think that AI might be the what introduces more people to blockchain without realizing that they're using blockchain. That might be the mass adoption key because everybody's into using AI. Well, maybe AI will help be the portal almost. It's interesting. The, the research uh, business, t- Turning, as in the very famous Alan Turning, who um, did, you know, did so much to help crack the Enigma code, if you remember, um, and arguably sort of helped sort of advance you know, computer technology. You know, they reckon when AI and blockchain combine, you can build mutable, safe and decentralized systems. And this is going to lead to major data and information security, if you like, capabilities in all sorts of different industries. So that's, they're kind of saying the same thing as you there, in the sense that all of a sudden, artificial intelligence, when you combine it with blockchain technology, maybe it's effectively almost going to democratize it because we don't need to understand some of the technical aspects because artificial intelligence will act as that interface and then either interrogate information that's held on a blockchain or put information into a blockchain, which then can be used in, in different ways to make our lives easier. You know, we were talking the other day with the Badger on West Loves East radio station, and we were talking about how you can go up and get a burger of McDonald's, and there's no one actually there because it's all automated. And if they recognize that it's you, James, and you don't like tomatoes, not tomatoes, tomatoes, I don't like cheese. Well, it'll then make sure that you don't get a tomato and I don't get cheese in my in my Big Mac. So, you know, it's people say, well, so what? What does that mean? Well, it's just showing you how you're going to start seeing you being given products that you really want rather than you have to say, no, can you amend it and change it and alter it? So you're going to be able to make much more bespoke and customized products and services because they know what it is you want. You know, it's, it's a very simple form of the artificial intelligence in that sense. But it's giving you what you want, and that information is then stored in a relevant place. Now, that's talking about food. It could easily be medication. It could be easily, I don't know, details about how you want your money managed or things like that. So we're going to see it increasingly creeping into our day-to-day lives, I think. Yeah, you just had me, gave me PTSD about there's nothing worse than going to McDonald's, get your food out, and you got to turn around and go, didn't I tell you? No mustard. <laughs> I said no mustard. This is ruined. So now it'll be like, hey, AI bot, create a smart contract that automatically distributes my orders to Wendy's and Taco Bell and McDonald's with my preferred condiments. And then let the AI just do it. That'll work. Yep. But James, we also talked about dex and sex. Hey. What was all that about? Well, I don't know about the sex part, but dex. No, C-E-X, not S-E-X. Let's talk about DEX. So DEX is a decentralized exchange. And SEX is a centralized exchange. 
which makes me wonder right now, is that the given word? Do we do we go to convention centers and talk about the latest sex? Because that could be awkward. So a centralized exchange, for example, would be Binance. And yep. a decentralized exchange, for example, would be Uniswap. Yep. Now, Johnny, can you identify two major differences between the two? Well, one has a C and one has a D. Hey, let's not talk about the D. We've already talked about the sex. I think the main the main difference is obviously in terms of the way in which they're governed. Um, a centralized exchange typically will be governed like companies that most of the listeners are, are used to working for. You know, they've got a board of directors, they've got management, and that means if something goes wrong on that centralized exchange, the regulator can say, "Hey, James, you're the CEO of Binance now, or you know, or Coinbase. You know, we're going to come and get you. We're going to." You know, we want to hold you accountable for what's happened on your centralized exchange. And therefore, the the idea of regulators and governments being able to go to some individuals or a board and hold them accountable for their acts, errors and omissions. It's something which that that's the way business typically has been organized in a regulated sphere. Whereas on a DEX, you know, Uniswap. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the guy that invented Uniswap, I think, was an ex-HSBC trader. And he said, I don't want any control over what I've created. I've created this as, a, as an algorithm almost because I think it's a great way to trade assets. And I'm going to give away all of the control, all of the shares, all of the ownership of Uniswap. So now he just gave those away. And with hindsight, he gave away many, many billions worth of so-called assets. So now we have Uniswap that's owned by thousands of people and it's not really controlled. It, it's governed and controlled by the community for the community. And we, we've kind of had this conversation before, James. It reminds me of a cooperative whereby everyone pulls together their resources and you're a great basket weaver and I'm a great thrasher of coin or I'm a great blacksmith and you're a great carpenter. But what we do, we all combine our skills for the benefit of the community. And that, that's a very old-fashioned way that businesses, almost globally, or organizations, they weren't even businesses, they were put together because we're all working together for a, for a common purpose. And that's kind of what we have with a decentralized organization. There's no central CEO, finance director, HR director, people like that. So when something goes wrong, the regulators say, well, who do we blame? Where do we go to get recompense? How do we make sure that this DEX doesn't, you know, do something wrong again next time? We, we've got to impose rules and regulations. Well, if you've got no central control, it makes it really, really difficult. So very long-winded answer. What's the difference? Well, a centralized exchange will almost certainly have to do KYC and AML, whereas a decentralized exchange, there's no one to collect that information. And it's kind of caveat emptor, buyer beware, if you're going to go and use something like Uniswap as, as an example, because you're just going to go onto that platform. You don't know who you're dealing with. You don't know whether good, bad or or ugly. And you're just going to go and do a trade. But that's not dissimilar to perhaps what you have if you're, you know, if you like go to an auction. You don't know whether that car is going to work or not. You don't know whether, you know, if you bought an antique chair, whether it's got woodworm or not. You're just going in and you're buying it and that's it. So we're seeing more and more applications and more and more people coming onto these decentralized exchanges 
because arguably they're much cheaper to run because they don't have all this overhead of regulation. But it's just governments and regulators are nervous because they're saying, well, we can't afford to protect our investors and our consumers in a DEX. You know, I think I think they would also be nervous. I agree with everything you said. Um, oh, my goodness. I do. But I think you forgot to focus on custody. And the custody, in my opinion, is one of the biggest factors because in, in a role of a DEX, I am always in control of the money that I'm exchanging with my wallet, right? On a DEX, on a pure DEX, I mean, there's a few out there, but, but in reality, it should be my money in my hands until it gets traded for whoever or whatever, an NFT or another coin or a service at that moment, peer-to-peer, if you will. Whereas with a CEX, you actually have to go, right? History often repeats itself. You have to go and deposit your money into the hands of someone else. And now you're, you're involving trust. You're hoping that this isn't some kid in the Bahamas who's about to go run off to his mom's house to escape the FBI. In a DEX, you had control of your money, the private keys that you interact with their smart contracts with no one else. So, I think it's a so big James, part. So James, isn't it, isn't it rather ironic that the regulators around the world are there to, if you like, to ensure customers are treated fairly. They're there to ensure that we maintain confidence in the financial situation and the financial markets. And yet a, a CEX, a centralized exchange, we're having to trust a third party and we hope that third party is going to do the right thing. And we're going to have lots of rules and regulations and extra costs to ensure the right thing is being done. Whereas a DEX, we don't have that counterparty risk. We don't have to worry about, you know, how safe are your assets because you're doing a deal. You control your assets. You have responsibility. So whilst the regulators would appear to be very attracted towards centralized exchanges i wonder whether going forward we're going to see more and more institutions are saying i want to be able to deal in real time and i want to deal as cheaply as possible because that's good value for my ultimate investors and therefore they're going to be attracted to decentralized exchanges at the expense of centralized exchanges with all those costs burdens that they have to incur because of all the checks and balances going on interesting if i go to soapbox for a quick minute i might argue And in terms of a DEX, who are you to regulate me? Do you not think that I'm not okay with my own money and my own decisions? There shouldn't be a need to regulate me. You don't regulate me at home. You don't don't make sure that I put my wallet on the coffee table and have the dog knock it down. So why do you got to regulate me on an exchange that I'm in complete control of anyway? I'm just saying. But do we end up, therefore, with a parallel financial markets whereby effectively the governments and the regulators say okay you can either come in and you can be protected by rules and regulations and financial compensation or tick this box you're a sophisticated investor or you're just you don't care it's your money and you want the cheapest fastest execution in which case you have no protection we do not protect your assets or we're only allowing dexes for you know you know institutional access in the same way Derivatives are very, very complicated, but arguably they're the biggest asset in the world. I would imagine 99.9% of all our listeners 
and you broadcast to what 4.6 million people in 170 countries on cyber.fm james most of those have never ever bought and sold a derivative and yet it's the biggest asset class in the world because it's reserved for institutions and institutional investors whether it's protecting sort of agricultural crops or swapping interest rates we were talking about repos the other day that you know swapping out mortgage liability and bits and pieces like that so you've got parallel markets in the derivatives market could we see parallel markets with a centralized exchange system and decentralized exchange system i think you just created an entire hybrid exchange system a hex <laughs> a dex a sex and a hex hybrid hybrid write that yeah. down well james be mindful as ever the blooming time is ticking on and coming up after the break we've got we've got sean Ow, who He's been he's been a colleague of mine on T Blockchain for a number of years. He's based out in Australia, and we caught up with him there. And he's going to be talking about one one multi chain to bridge them all. And this is a topic we we discussed a couple of weeks ago about the challenges of different blockchains and how do they talk to each other. Um, but that's coming after the break. But before we go, I just wanted to bring attention to listeners about the demonetization in Nigeria and. This is a it's a travesty of what's happened. And the reason I want to draw attention is that I know you have a very, very strong and active listenership and listeners in, in Africa. Well, the biggest economy in Africa is Nigeria. The UK has some really strong links with Nigeria. And Nigeria comes in for a lot of a lot of um, criticism because of, uh, quite frankly, the shadow economy and the shadow economy in Nigeria is according to the UN. The third biggest by percentage GDP. So if I put that into English, it's three countries like Afghanistan and Zimbabwe that have more of their economy in the shadow economy. And for a shadow economy to function, it typically revolves around cash. And Nigeria has got itself into the crazy situation whereby, you know, they've gone out and printed 3.2 trillion nearer notes. And that's the amount that the banks they know that are out there. Yet 2.7 trillion of those notes, which is about 80 odd percent, literally in mattresses under beds, in people's wallets. I they don't use the banking system. So the government turned around and said, look, we, we want to do something about this shadow economy. We've got to do something to, to collect more taxes. We've got to make our society more inclusive. So what we're going to do, we're going to get rid of all the old cash. And we're going to say, there you go. You can no longer use these old nara banknotes and we've got some new banknotes which are nice and shiny new ones and it's created absolute chaos and the stupid thing is is that nigeria really could have learned a lesson or two from what happened in india where they did a similar thing back in was it 2016 but they oh, did black money well absolutely but because you've got this crazy crazy situation in nigeria 220 million people so it's a lot of people and they rely on cash because 40% of Nigerians don't have a bank account, but there's only four and a half bank accounts for every 100,000 people. So it's physically really difficult to take your cash, your old notes, and get new notes back. And what this has caused is a huge jump in inflation and businesses, you know, the Nigerian economy, which has been, you know, growing along nicely, suddenly it's come to a grinding halt because there's no money. Now, a solution would have been to say, okay, well, what we'll do is you can use digital money. You can use, you know, we'll have a central bank digital currency. Well, unfortunately, the Nigerians decided to ban cryptocurrency transactions not that long ago because they were also worried that that was a way they couldn't collect their taxes. 
And now they've done a U-turn and say, no, no, what we think we need to do is start looking at bringing in some sort of digital currencies, some sort of stable coin, possibly even a central bank digital currency. And they're you know, now going to look to possibly introduce something like that because they've got ourselves into a bit of a pickle by getting rid of demonetizing the Nara. I'm very interested in what, and I'm going to find out. We have a, we have a tremendous Nigerian audience. We have a Nigerian channel. And uh, we speak with them often. Love them, people. Love them. I want to know what they think of all. Like, what are they personally experiencing? So I'm looking in the article. They changed. I, I hate to say it, but this is a horrible move on behalf of the government, right? They said, okay, your $200 Naira or Nira, it went from green to pink. So we're not going to accept the green ones anymore. And you said they make it harder to exchange. This sounds kind of rug pulley. Yep. Yep. I mean, that's yep. horrible. Well, James, one of the definitions of inflation is too much money chasing too few goods. Yeah. So if you suddenly restrict the amount of money because your your old brown thousand nearer suddenly turns into a blue one, You've got less money chasing goods. Therefore, if you're not careful, you could have a huge deflationary spiral on your hands and the economy effectively stagnates. So, yeah, not not good. Not good. And actually, what you're seeing is some of the some of the regional courts have now actually taking action to sue the central bank because you've got riots and attacks going on because people are starving. They can't get access to their cash and they can't use crypto. Right. Is crypto You're not allowed to use crypto at the moment? Well, because like I said, we have quite the audience over there. And Probably. I'm just going to say, without saying it, clearly, speaking on experience, they're using crypto. Of course they are. Of course they that's, are. That's and interesting, wouldn't you say? Well, this whole thing of when you say tell someone you can't use it, you know, come on, the state always springs to mind. You know, with prohibition, there's probably more alcohol bought and sold and drunk in the years of prohibition than than now. You know, look at all the drug czars that we have in every country trying to fight, you know, drugs and what have you. And likewise, when you say you can't use a digital currency to spend your own money to transact, you know, I I know we, we have a couple of researchers. I've got one guy who's a he's a he actually qualifies this summer as a doctor, and uh, you know, we use him occasionally to help with some of the research for some of the articles and digital bytes. And how do we pay them? Well, we pay them through digital currencies. You know, US, US, we pay them tether or circle. Why? Because I can ask him for an invoice, I can pay him, and within less than a minute, he's received the money in his Binance account. It's that fast. Oh, and by the way, it doesn't cost him anything to receive that money, and it doesn't cost me anything to send that money. And whether I'm sending him, you know, 50 50 pounds or 500,000 pounds or dollars. It's the same. So how can banks compete with something like that, where it's practically real-time transfer of money free? Well, and so therefore, if you're working in, in, in London or Paris or New York and you want to send money back to your loved ones, and we've talked about this before, James, the remittance market is something in excess of 780 billion a year, and the average transaction is $200, according to the UN. And the average cost is 4%. Why are they paying 4% when you could do it for nothing? And you've got starving friends and family back in, you know, say Nigeria at the moment, which is what we have, and they want to be able to spend money. Well, 
bang, I can send them $50, 50 pounds for nothing. And that's, that's, you know, that'll probably feed them for a week. Go to the banking system and they're being restricted. You know, the government said you can't take more than $20 on, on a, doing an international transaction. They were so worried that they thought they were going to see a run on the Nero. So the whole $20. thing is $20, $20, three MasterCard. That's a sandwich in America now. Well, you have big sandwiches though, James. Yeah, we got big inflation too. Yeah, that's true. All right, James, um, we better wrap up and we'll be back up after the break talking to Sean now about sort of um, how to sort of connect blockchains and talk about bridges and like. But just to remind any new listeners, James and I, once a week, we run the Digital Byte Show looking at how, where and why blockchain technology and digital assets are being used. If you'd like a copy, a hard copy of the newsletter, because every newsletter has lots and lots of hyperlinks, because most of our clients are regulated, they're accountants, lawyers, banks, asset managers. So when we're telling you all these facts and figures, we're not just making it up. They're all hyperlinked to newspapers, publications, websites. And to get your free copy, just go on to teamblockchain.net and you'll see a, a click and just you can then subscribe or go to cyber.fm. And again, there's a click and we'll be happy to put you on the list and we'll send you a copy of the newsletter. No advertising, no investment advice, no nothing like that. It's just pure information. That's what we do every week, bringing together what's happening from different jurisdictions and different industries. So you're very welcome to receive that. And you know what's funny? If you go to teamblockchain.net, you can see me and you and Sean. We're there. Absolutely. We're yeah. all there. <laughs> all right, James. That's great. We'll be back after the break. And thank you, listeners, for joining us once again for this edition of the Digital Byte Show. Hey, Johnny. I know that you're out touring the world like those rich and famous celebrity rock stars and you're in some country i don't even know what time it is right now is it the ides of march yet or am i off no you're off that was a couple of weeks ago but but i am here with a good friend of mine this is the first time you know james that you and i've done a show and i've actually got my guest sitting next to me not quite in the bbc studios of london but in a beautiful city called sydney so i'm still down under joined by sean al who's sean you've written a, a Interesting, because we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about bridges and things like that. And you, you, you're titled One Multi-Chain to Bridge Them All. But before we get into that, Sean, can you just explain to the listeners a little bit about, I know we've known each other for five, six years, but, but can you just explain a little bit about what you do and how you managed to get involved in the mad, bad world of blockchain and digital assets? Sure thing, Johnny. Very nice to see you in person as well. And hello to all the listeners out there. I guess that the short story is... Um, very similar to everyone else. I went down the rabbit hole. I had a job, but in the in my off time, evenings and weekends, I, I got fixated on this, this thing called crypto, Bitcoin, et cetera, back in the days, probably around 14, 15, you know, 2015. And then um, about a year later, I just uh, quit my job, went cold turkey and jumped straight into Bitcoin full time. And I've got a bit of a technical background. I used to do Java programming, not so much nowadays, but it did fascinate me. So I the first thing I tried to do, actually, prove that Bitcoin was real. So what I did in my first year of pure research was I bought a miner. I, I used $600 of electricity to create $50 worth of Bitcoin, $50. And then I actually jumped on the internet, found an ATM machine. And this is on my blog, by the way. I flew over from, I was in New Zealand at the time. I came to Sydney and I've got myself... I've got a picture of myself in front of this ATM machine in the center of Sydney withdrawing $50 cash. 
So I'd proven to myself that this digital, this, this number on the screen could be converted into real fiat money. Well, yeah, don't worry about spending $600 in electricity, but this was <laughs> all real. The, all the airfare. All, all the airfare <laughs> was real. And that is when the penny dropped and I just couldn't believe it. Because if you, if you printed money anywhere else in the world, you'd be put in jail. And then, and then you went on and became chairman of the Blockchain Association in New Zealand. Yes. I started running all the, the meetups in Wellington. And then I knew the New Zealand ecosystem really well and then became part of the Blockchain Association, ran it for a short time. And then after that, I, I wanted to go further afield. So I went across to Australia. And at that time, I, had, I spent some time at Consensus, you know, Joe Lubin, billion-dollar company. And then from there, I've got a bit of experience at Chainalysis as well, which is crypto investigation company, another, another US-based unicorn, et cetera. And then at the moment, I'm focusing my attention around blockchain indexing, the data on the blockchain. What do you mean by data? On, what do you mean by blockchain indexing? Yeah, so you can imagine that there's all this data on the blockchain, right? And the blockchain, as many people probably know, is just a big, slow, append-only database that sits in a distributed network, you know, on computers around the world. And it just keeps growing. To access that data, it's actually pretty tricky because it's slow. So what a lot of companies do is they replicate the blockchain into a standard Oracle, MySQL, a standard database, so to speak. And then they, they query that and run their analytics. They, they you know, give me the top 10 most, uh, the top 10 wallet holders in, in Bitcoin and Polkadot and whatever ecosystem you want. So you can do a lot of analysis on that. So what, what I'm working on now, my latest project, is to allow people to grab data from the blockchain really quickly and easily in order to drive block explorers, analytics, et cetera. Okay, so, so that's partly then why you're talking about bridges. Which, James, we were talking about a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about bridges and, and tokens and stuff like that. And you gave the analogy of like going across the river from one, one blockchain to another. And the danger of bridges in the sense that they're not really a bridge, that they, they transform a token on one blockchain into mm. another one. And so you could end up double counting because you've got a million polka dots, but you actually transfer them from Bitcoin where there's a million dollars worth. So mm. effectively, the whole ecosystem now looks like it's worth two million, yeah. but it's not really. But yeah, explain, so what, what do you mean then, one multi-chain to bridge them all? What, what sort of, what's your thought process behind that? Yeah, so back in the early days, you know, 09, 10, 11, et cetera, it was all about the Bitcoin blockchain. And then obviously from there, a lot of people fought the Bitcoin blockchain and you had Litecoin and you know, Dogecoin, et cetera. And then obviously Ethereum came along and turned it on its heels to create this kind of programmable money system where you could program on the blockchain, right? So the evolution of different types and flavors of blockchain have just gone from strength to strength. So nowadays, if you do a Google for blockchain, you're going to see lots of different flavors out there, right? You've got the Bitcoin blockchain, which you really can't program or develop applications on top of because it's just for the transfer of one particular cryptocurrency. Then starting from Ethereum, which we all know is the most popular blockchain, with over you know, 600, 6,000, sorry, monthly active developers, for instance, with all the ICOs launched on top. But then you've got a whole bunch of other competitors out there that you can potentially consider if you want to create your next killer application. And some of those include you know, Solana, we've got Cosmos, Polkadot, et cetera. So 
looking at the different types of um, dApps. So, so these are protocols, these are projects that are built on these different blockchains. Mm. In your article, you talk about Ethereum. It's kind of the big daddy. Everyone looks at Bitcoin and, you know, Bitcoin accounts for roughly sort of 40% of the entire capitalization of the cryptocurrency market. Ethereum is coming in around about, I think from memory, about 17, 18%. But the, the number of different companies using Ethereum is still far ahead of the other, other blockchains. Mm. And, and they're the ones that really pioneered smart contracts. They're the ones really pioneered smart contracts. Ethereum, the Ethereum developers. Yeah, well, it's interesting when you say pioneered because you can go back to the history backwards, but it's certainly the most popular, right? When you think of smart contracts, you think of developing programmable money, uh, decentralized applications. The first thing that comes to mind is obviously Ethereum. Yeah. And okay, so we've, we've got potentially hundreds of blockchains, but they don't talk to each other necessarily. And this is, yeah. where, this is where the bridge... How, how, so how would you sort of define for our listeners a, a bridge? You know, what do they do? Yeah, well, there's a couple of concepts, right? Because if we take a step back before jumping into bridges, if you look at Cosmos or Polkadot, for example, they are their own blockchain. And if we look at Polkadot, they have this concept of creating mini blockchains, which they call parachains, inside the Polkadot ecosystem. And because they're the same family, these blockchains can talk to each other really well. Very similar to Cosmos, right? Cosmos has this concept of zones, which is the equivalent of parachains. It's just different terminology. But these different zones have their own uh, blockchain, and each zone can talk to each other very easily using the same protocols or the rules, so to speak, making it really easy. Now, the the concept of communication across blockchain is potentially where we talk in, in terms of bridges, because how do you get Cosmos to talk to Polkadot, to talk to Ethereum, to talk to a Solana, for instance? Okay, so, so if Polkadot's got parachains and Cosmos has got zones, mm. what does Ethereum have? Just dApps? Yeah, it, it does, because the reason why is Ethereum was the very first... Large-scale. Large-scale yeah. blockchain, right? So... Polkadot and Cosmos looked at that and said, how can we improve on it? And in fact, if you look at the one of the, the founders of Polkadot, Gavin Wood, Wood, he was actually the, the co-founder of Ethereum anyway. Yeah. Right? And, and then you got Cardano. That, that was a breakout again. From Cardano from Charles Hodgkinson. From Charles Hodgkinson. Exactly. Yeah. So the people are going down using different blockchains because they think they're better because they're better in the public arena mm. or in the private arena. Mm. So what you need, though, is somehow for the different blockchains to be able to talk to each other correct uh, correct and that's where bridges come in is that is that is that correct oh yes and no right because a lot of people use the term bridge to actually transfer assets that you use a bridge to transfer assets from one blockchain to another in right. particular for example you you would lock up some bitcoin and then release or mint the same amount of bitcoin in Ethereum, for instance, and then you could go and spend your Ethereum having locked up your Bitcoin. So it allows you to transfer, I guess, value, um, but it is expanding to allow you to transfer information or data, which is where the communication part comes right. in. So there's a couple, of, a couple of perspectives on how you want to understand bridges. Okay, okay. And then you, you, then, you then give an example of Bonza Airlines, which is an airline. It's just received authorization here in Australia. What, what's... What's, what's going on with Bonza then, vis-a-vis blockchain? Yeah, Bonza's not using blockchain, but I, I highlighted that example because they developed this mobile-first approach to their, their system where to book a ticket, you have to use a cell phone, right? I mean, you don't go on a laptop anymore. And the reason why 
on that is because if you want to design a blockchain, I mean, maybe it, how do you pick a blockchain? Do you pick Solana, uh, Polkadot, et cetera? Well, how about, this is just a crazy thought, designing for a multi-blockchain approach, right? I mean, it, it's quite out there, but in the same vein, designing a mobile-only application for a company was would have been ludicrous five, 10 years ago as well. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so how do you, so do you see more of these projects, these, these dApps being developed mm. to be able to cater the fact that they need to cross different blockchains? Yeah. That's really where you're coming from. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? Because as a lot of people may know when you develop a project, one of the most important aspects is trying to grow a community because the most important part, the most valuable part is your user base, right? How is the application being used to solve a problem, for instance? So if you just limit yourself to one particular blockchain in one particular ecosystem, and that's great because everyone's been doing that thus far. But if you take a step back and think, how can I grow? Well, what, if I've got the ability to access and launch my application on more than one blockchain, I can, I've got a greater community to access. Yeah. Okay. Wow. James, have you got your, you got your bridges sorted out? Nothing to do with your teeth. They're going across the river this time. Any, any thoughts on what James talked about? Well, I'm, I have to say this. I have to choose my words correctly, wisely. So <laughs> you have revealed so many secrets you may not even realize that you have revealed secrets about the progress that the very company broadcasting this radio show is literally in the middle of doing. So I, what I will do is I will, the rumor mill is about to go viral for my own. So I will applaud you, right? I, I need a clap button. Maybe, maybe like a, imagine me clapping. So I like the idea. I like, you're on point about the airline using a mobile-first aspect, right? Days of laptops going away. How do you – when you were describing parachains, I was thinking of um, highway system. In, in, in America, we have the interstate highway. We have federal highways, county, state, roads. All right, and they're all interlinked. You get off, on-ramp, off-ramp, in and out. They're all kind of interlinked, and that's how I imagine parachains working out. But how does one move a marker or a token from one to another? And because in a bridge, as you and I discussed, Johnny, it sits there, there's a token that's a sitting duck waiting for a hacker in a in a in a hub somewhere, right? Because you didn't actually move that token across the bridge; it parked itself, and a carbon copy of it went out. And there's exposure mm. there. So he, Sean. Early in the beginning, went with the, these are really big celebrated databases. And a lot of us are stuck with using a combination of MongoDB and SQL and NoSQL. And then we go into smart contracts and they communicate with each other with Merkle tree. You revealed a lot of, you are the man. Anything that you build, I'm going to go deploy it because I know it's going to work because it's what the future needs. The uh, the problem with these all these chains is that interoperability. So I applaud you. I have no advice to give. I have no. It was an honor to meet you. I applaud you. Blimey, James, that's praise indeed from you, cynical old New Yorker. This is a different radio show. Get me Craig Wright. I need to yell at somebody. <laughs> okay, 
Well, look, Sean, thank you very much for joining us today on the show. It's been great to catch up with you. James, thank you again. And we'll be back on the waves, airwaves this time next year with another edition of the Digital Byte Show. If you'd like to get any more information, Sean, how's the best bet? Is LinkedIn? I know you're on LinkedIn. Yeah, LinkedIn, Twitter, Google my name. TalkCrypto.org is my website, which is a bit, needs a bit of TLC, but I'm working on it. Okay, and it's Sean, S-E-A-N. Correct. A-U. Correct. Pronounced O or Ow. That's right. Either or. Either or. (laughs) Either or. Okay, Sean, thanks very much. James, great. And we'll be back uh, next week for another show. Thank you. Thanks, all.